Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptising. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard this, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found Messiah, that is, the Christ and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If you know anything about Australia, you know that we love our big things, right? Even around Australia, you've seen all the big, the big stuff. I grew up in Tamworth. Uh, and there is, of course, the great famous Tamworth Big Golden Guitar, right? Uh, and whenever you come to visit Tamworth, you've got to go see the Golden Guitar. It's, I mean, it's a little... I always thought it's actually not that golden. It's sort of like an unimpressive, nondescript brown color. But anyway, it's the big sort of, you know, show in town, the Golden Guitar. You've got to go see it. Uh, but just down the road, uh, in a little town called Moomby, is the Big Chicken. You go see the Big Chicken. So that's always uh, good for a laugh. But if you're really keen on big stuff, you can do the rounds, right? The Big Pineapple. Uh, you can uh, go to the Big Merino. Yeah, I, uh, I bet some, there's someone in here who's been to every single one, I bet. Uh, you can go to the Big Banana. At Coffs Harbour, go to the Big Banana. Uh, closer to home, you've got the Big Lobster. That's at Kingston, apparently. I've been there. Uh, anyone been to the Big Olive at Taylor Bend? There you go there. And of course, there's a Big Rocking Horse at Kamaraka. Uh, and my personal favourite, not in South Australia, but back over in New South Wales, the Big Potato. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a rock. You know, it's lovely in the, the meeting that it was decided to build this. <laughs> anyway, the big, the big potato. But <laughs> the thing you see, the thing about uh, all those sort of big things, right? And they're good for a bit of a laugh. Um, uh, and you know, they're, 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 they just give you a bit of Australian character and you can go check them out. And they're good for a laugh. Uh, but they don't really make any personal impact on you, do you? I mean, maybe if you know, you're know mad keen on country music. Sing the golden guitar for the, you know, maybe that's sort of a life changing experience for you, but I suspect not. Okay, uh, they don't make that much of a big impact on you personally. They don't, they don't make any demands on you personally either. They're kind of impersonal. They're really only good for a photo album, right? That's um, pretty much what they're good for, not much else. All these big things, but other big things. Uh, well, friends, maybe you can sort of see where I'm heading with this, but. Uh, this passage we read, it tells of the biggest thing of all, but of course this is a big thing on a totally different level, right? A totally different level. Uh, because what we see, what we see in this passage, what we read about it, is not just a big thing, but we see the big one. The big, the, the person of unimaginable, immeasurable significance. 
Friends, it makes no difference when you check out, whether you check out Australia's big things or not, right? You know? if, you, if we go to Tamworth together, I won't be personally offended if you don't come with me to, to pay homage to the golden guitar, right? It, it, it doesn't really matter whether you go and check out the big things around Australia. Uh, but the claim of this, the claim of this one, this incredible, this utterly unique person, uh, his claim is to miss out. One, change the slide. <laughs> this, this big one. His claim is that if you miss out on him, if to miss him is to miss this. This is stunning, right? What we see in this passage. To miss him is to miss the central person in all human history. To get him, on the other hand, to see who he really is, to get him, is to be swept up in something so big, something so incredible, so wonderful, it doesn't, uh, it just doesn't get, just give you another photo for the album, right? Uh, this thing gives you a whole new life. To be swept up, not with this big thing, with this big one. A whole new life, forgiveness, freedom, purpose. Ultimately, what we're going to see is to see him is to see God himself. To get him is to get God himself. And friends, it changes everything. Now, we are going to work through this passage, and you can see as we read through, it's helpful to have it sort of stood up like that. It does break into four fairly even um, days. It breaks up into four days, and we're going to journey through each day and kind of look at uh, what comes out of it as we, as we do that. Uh, there's an outline of the sermon in the handout that might be helpful as well in sort of helping you know where we're up to, where we're going. Uh, but if, if we're going to talk about big things, it kind of makes sense to start where we started with verse, verse 19. So we started with John the Baptist. Okay, we touched on John last week if you were here. He was big, right? He was a sensation. He was the superstar, preacher of his day. Huge came, crowds came to see him. Huge crowds. Uh, and uh, uh, not just crowds, uh, not, it wasn't just the crowds, that we read at the start of there in verse 19, he drew attention from the religious leaders as well, the kind of establishment, and, and that's what you would do if you were kind of outside the system, uh, doing what John was doing, causing a bit of a stir. So you read in verse 19 there, um, the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. This is kind of the head office sending delegation, the delegation out to check up on this rogue preacher. Uh, and you can tell how big John was, right, by the kind of names that get used here. Right? What, what these guys assume that he might be, who he might be, or who he might be uh, claiming to be. They need some sort of category to understand John. And the only ones they can think of, this is how big he was, right? the only ones they can think of are huge ones. They're all massive figures from of the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament. Uh, there's Messiah. That John straight away he kind of anticipates what they're going to ask him. And he's just straight away, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. Uh, this huge figure in the Old Testament is God's promised King who would come and rule over His people forever. And John deals with that straight away in verse 20. Uh, but if it's not the Messiah, the great sort of hope of Israel, then who is this guy? They try two other Old Testament figures. You can read there um, in verse 21. 
who are you? They ask him, if you're not this Messiah, are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. And he says, are you the prophets? And he answers, no. Uh, these guys were two huge Old Testament figures as well. They were supposed to come to Israel in uh, the last days of the fulfillment of Israel's history. Elijah was to return. Moses, the prophet was, uh, foretold, was a, a, a figure foretold by Moses. Um, the fact that they thought John might claim to be one of these guys just shows what a big deal John was. Okay? As we read through, you can see that he just says, no, 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 no. Because, and you can kind of feel the exasperation can't you, in verse 22. They finally say, well, come on, man. Who are you? Who are you? We've got to go back to head office and tell them something. <laughs> like, we've got to have something to give them, something to work with. Come on. And that's when, uh, uh, that's when um, John goes on. What, what's, what's really interesting here, before we read John's answer here, what's really interesting is that, did you notice as we read through, John says he's not Elijah. We read in the other Gospels that Jesus actually sort of contradicts John in a way. He says, this guy, if you knew, he is actually Elijah. He is uh, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, that tells of this Elijah. Kind of Elijah come again, he would come, uh, he, would, he would come before the great day of the Lord. And Jesus says that John fulfills that. John is this Elijah figure, come before this great, incredible day of the Lord. Now, what's going on here? Uh, is John just sort of does he just make a mistake when he says, No, he's not Elijah? I don't think that's what's going on. Uh, and I think what is going on is actually really important. These guys come, these, this delegation from head office, right? uh, they come and they want a category to understand who this guy is. They want some sort of way to figure out who he is. A, a title that they can give to him. And John stubbornly refuses to accept their titles, right? We read that last week. Even if he is this Elijah figure, he's not going to claim it for himself. He's not going to claim it for himself. Jesus will give it to him, but he's not going to claim it. And I think what's going on here is that he knows that that, that would draw attention to himself. And that is the last thing that John wants to happen. He doesn't want any of the spotlight on him. And so he says in verse 23, sort of after they're exasperated, Who are you? Give us an answer to go back to Jesus says in verse 23. When they pressed him, who am I? You see it there. I'm not the Christ, the Messiah. I'm not Elijah coming. I'm not the prophet. Who am I? I'm just a voice. I'm a voice. That's it. And specifically, I'm the voice. I'm, I'm the voice that draws attention to someone else. I'm a voice drawing attention to someone else much greater than me. He uses this other Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah. Uh, and he mentions this voice that is preparing the way for the Lord. And he keeps going, right? He, he, and you just get the impression of what John's saying. He doesn't want any attention, any of the spotlight to focus on him. He uh, goes out of his way to, to, to hammer home how small he is, how insignificant he is. He says, guys, don't pay any attention to me. I'm not what this is about. 
Uh, and, and, uh, and it really comes at home in verse 26. You see that? This one that he is preparing the way for in verse 26, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. Now, this is a really, I mean, in this culture, this is a really powerful thing for John to say. I don't know if you've ever experienced smelly feet up close and personal. Uh, I still have etched in my mind. I went to, I was at boarding school for a little while and I have etched in my mind memories of boys in my dorm who, you know, I won't go there. Uh, but it, it was even worse back then, right? There was no bitumen roads, no kind of sealed pathways like we, like we have today. Dust everywhere, that, you know, horse manure on the ground. Uh, everyone's in sandals. Now, untying sandals was such a disgusting job uh, that there are actually laws that meant that said um, only slaves could do it for some of us. You couldn't be made to do it unless you were a slave. It was such, you know, a, a, a smelly, disgusting job. And it, it said something about your social position. If you untied someone else's sandals, you were just the lowest of the low. You see what John says here? He doesn't even say, I'm only worthy to untie his sandals. Right? He doesn't even say, I'm, all I can do would be untie his sandals. He doesn't even say that. He says something totally just blows it all apart. Right? He says, that lowest of the low, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to do that. Even to untie this guy's sandals. Even to untie. It is a shocking thing to say. The lowest, most demeaning thing, John says, I'm not even worthy to do for this one who is coming after me. That's, that's how big he is. And friends, I just think it's worth us pausing to reflect for a second about this guy, about John, John the Baptist. Here was reading this incredible story. Um, some of us, if, when we're honest, we kind of do think that we're um, pretty big in the end. We, we have what might be called a healthy self-esteem. Uh, we know what we think on just about any topic and we're happy to say it. You know? <laughs> uh, it should give me and you, all of us, pause for thought, shouldn't it? Uh, just how humble John is. Just how humble he is. I mean, unlike you and me, he really was a big deal, right? He really, he really was a big deal. And Jesus says, Jesus says somewhere elsewhere that there's no one greater than John. This guy's a big deal, and yet he says, I'm not even gonna, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so low, I'm so nothing compared to Jesus. I can't even untie his sandals. He's just a voice. He's just a voice. Others of us, though, I mean, that's, that's for some of us. Others of us, though, when we hear John say, I'm not even worthy, we say, yes, yes, I'm not worthy. You know, we, we're kind of on the other end of the spectrum, right? Uh, you, you quite kind of identify with the, the unworthiness here, and you, you, you kind of you just think, yes, that's so mean, I'm not hopeless, I'm, I'm worthless. And but then, you notice, as you read through, then you notice how shockingly bold John is, right? How courageous he is, how, how he stands up to the authorities. So you've got these two extremes of you know, self-confidence and self-despair. 
And in the end, whereas a lot of us, I think, a lot of the time we in the end, um, see what's the, the same about them? Uh, they're all a form of self-focus, <laughs> of self-centeredness, really, in the end. They're the outworking of having my vision on me, uh, our vision on ourselves. And John here, I just think, that isn't this great, or isn't this incredible? He shows something utterly different. He shows this incredible, humble boldness. A kind of humble boldness that comes when your vision is taken up, not with yourself, but with the great other, with Jesus. Now, Tim Keller, an you know, American writer, he writes about this in a little book he's written. Uh, he talks about this gospel humility, and he says, Gospel humility isn't thinking less of myself, it's thinking of myself less. You think that's quite a helpful little phrase. Gospel humility isn't thinking less of myself, it's just thinking of myself less. It's just getting my eyes off myself, and you see what we'll see what difference that made to John when he saw who Jesus was. We saw how big Jesus was. Utterly humble, he knew he was you know, nothing, but that didn't lead him into that self despair. And at the, at the same time, utterly courageous and bold. And it's when his gaze is fixed on Jesus, it's, friends, it's when our gaze is fixed on Jesus, on knowing just how great he is. That, that's what fuels this sort of astonishing combination, right? Of deep humility and fierce boldness. That's John. Uh, when he sees Jesus, this is sort of what happens to him. But uh, who is Jesus then? Who is this one whom he has fixed his eyes on, who he knows there's nothing before, and because he's fixed his eyes on, he's so bold in the face of all these, uh, all these people coming at him. Who is this, this, this one? John goes on day two. Uh, who is Jesus? Who's this, this coming one? Yeah, if you have your Bibles open, just kind of quickly read through, or um, talk through from verse 29 there, this day two. And it's the first time Jesus comes on the scene, right? You see there the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And it's kind of telling, isn't it? The first thing that comes out of John's mouth when he sees Jesus is the word, look. If you're familiar with the old version, Behold, look, gaze, take in this one. Look, why uh, does John want people to look at this one? Who is he? Why is he so worthy about his attention? Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me is the last one because he was before me. It confusing there, but you know what I'm saying. Right? This, this one who's coming after is so much greater. I didn't, uh, I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing the word was that he might be revealed to Israel. Look, look at him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. And the, I mean, there's a whole lot of background here that sort of fills in what. 
John means by this phrase, Lamb of God. It taps into the Jewish sacrificial system where people's sins, our very real and offensive failure to love and trust God, our Maker, to know His love for us and to entrust ourselves to us. That's what we're made to. This system that was set up in the Old Testament to deal with that, to bring forgiveness for that, to bring uh, to, to make it possible for people to connect with God. This uh, uh, our sin was so serious that it meant death. It ought to mean our death, but God graciously provided a substitute. Uh, this lamb, or another animal, as you read of in the Old Testament, who would stand in our place, who would bear our death for us, and so we would be forgiven. Safe from and, and the ultimate sort of example of this is the great story of the Exodus. Uh, if you're familiar with it, where God draws his people out of slavery in Egypt, and what do they have to put on over each of their doors before they come out? The blood of the lamb to show that uh, they have been paid for by this lamb, that they were one of God's people and safe from his judgment. This ultimate. Uh, and John says, with all sort of that in mind and much more, John looks at Jesus and says, Look, that's who this is. That is not just another lamb, right? But the Lamb of God. The full and final and ultimate sacrifice for our sins. The great one that all the other sacrifices were pointing towards. And not just for the sin of the Israel, but the shock here is for the sin of the whole world, opened up to everyone. It's hard for us, I think, friends, it's hard for us to get just how radical this was, right? The Jewish people's whole life was structured around this system of sacrifices to deal with their sin so that they could be God's people, they could have a relationship with Him. And for John to say, look, here is the one who all of that was pointing towards, the final sacrifice, who would pay for not only the sins of Israel, but the sin would open up God's forgiveness to every person across the whole world. In this one little phrase, that's all sort of capsulated. And you can see how it shocked me. Right? Something radical, something new that's happened, something unprecedented. And that's also what's sort of behind what John says about his baptism. Uh, it says in verse 33, if you read through there, that this one that is coming will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Um, John was famous for his baptizing. He, uh, it's it, 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 it maybe a bit sort of foreign for us, a bit weird that that would be um, a famous thing. But in his day, it was a huge statement. Uh, baptism was something that people would do who were non Jews, who came into the Jewish sort of um, community. And, and they would, they would get baptised to say that they had they'd sort of been washed clean, they had a new identity, a new identity, they'd entered into a new community. And John is saying, when he brought people out of Jerusalem, out into the wilderness to be baptised, they're saying, you need to come away and receive this, this whole new identity. But it wasn't just for non-Jews, it was for Jews as well. Everyone, this sort of clean slate, everyone uh, coming to be baptized by John. He was making a huge claim. And the Old Testament prophets longed for a day when God would return. Uh, and they called, they, they, long, they knew this day as this sort of era 
when God's own spirit, his own personal presence, his own power would come and live, would be present in his people. Uh, a passage like Joel 2, if you're taking notes and you want to look it up like, later on. And friends, I know there's, there's, there's sort of lots that we've covered there, but basically what John's saying here is that Jesus, this one he looks at, he's the one who brings about this new thing, this new age. He is the coming king in God's kingdom, who is also the lamb who would die for the sins of the world. We're bringing in this new age. Well, it is a huge sort of picture of who Jesus is. It's just in sort of two jam-packed days, right? And the rest of the passage, day three and four, really just play out what it looks like when people click, when people click on who this Jesus is. What happens to them when they click, when they see who Jesus is? Um, maybe, I don't know if you had this experience um, I mean, it's, this, this experience happens over and over again in different ways, and when you're an adult, it happens in adult ways. But when you're a kid, uh, you, might, you might have had the experience of, um, you know how uh, uh, when kids organise sport teams for themselves, you get sort of two, the two best people out, and then they pick one person each, and they pick from that crowd and sort of choose the teams like that, and then if you're like me, you sort of like, the last one is left standing there, sort of looking around, wanting to be picked, and, you know, and uh, you, you never want to be the very last one who's sort of just you know, standing there. And, anyway, uh, <laughs> if you know that kind of scene, right, this, this, this picking of teams, and uh, you'll know the kind of the swapping, the defections that, that can happen from one team to another. All of a sudden, you've got this dynamic where there's this one group over here, and uh, this, the, 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 one of the kids who gets picked is like the star soccer player. Right? He gets picked on this team. And then there's this sort of shuffling over here. And, uh, people wanting to sort of defect over here and you know, swapping places and defecting onto the, the big team. Uh, that, <laughs> there's the, and you sort of get the idea of this idea of you know, defecting onto the, the better team, the better guy. Well, <laughs> all that to say, he, he with uh, the, in day three, from verse 35, you read of this massive defection, right? This massive defection. John had his team. He had his disciples. And these guys weren't just hangers-on, right? They weren't just people who were sort of gathered around the kingdom. They were serious, dedicated followers of John. They had given up other things to... That's what a disciple was, right? They were based... They followed him, they literally sort of... Now, it's a little bit awkward, I think, to have some people following around with him, but they literally followed him around and they would base their life on him, on his teachings, on what he did. That's what the disciple was. But do you see how this plays out? As soon as John says, again, in verse uh, 36 there, he says, Look, the Lamb of God is with his disciples. He sees Jesus, he says, Look, the Lamb of God. As soon as he says that, verse 37, I mean, it's so short, it's, it's kind of easy to miss how big and shocking this is. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They switched teams straight away. They followed Jesus. And we kind of have a hunch how John would feel about this, right? You know, if I'm the captain of this team, and this team's got the good guy, and everyone wants to sort of defect, I'm pretty cheesed off. <laughs> but not, not John Baptist, right? You see how he's 
what, what his reaction, I mean, we're not told his reaction, but we, we, we can tell uh, from what we've already read about John. It is exactly what he wanted for these guys to judge ship and follow Jesus. Exactly what he wanted. He is the one he was preparing for. Finally, there's no competition, there's no resentment, just this joy, a joyful wonder at seeing Jesus. And then the story goes on. One of them, Andrew, goes and grabs his brother, Simon Peter, and brings him to Jesus. And there is something beautiful here, I think, in what Andrew does. Do you notice how Andrew is introduced? Where is it? Uh, in verse 40, if you have your Bibles there. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I don't know if you've ever been someone's brother. Um, I, both my dad and my older brother are both called Stuart. So I grew up being Stuart's son, and then sort of as I grew up, I, it transitioned to, oh, you're Stuart's brother. <laughs> so just on an aside, when my dad comes to visit you, It'd be really nice if you could go up to him and say, Oh, you're Duncan's dad. But maybe you've sort of been in a similar position and maybe you felt like Andrew. And Andrew doesn't get a big Guernsey through the New Testament. He plays a few really interesting, important roles. Um, but he's, he's just he, Simon Peter on the other hand, his brother, he's a big deal, right? He's the, the leader of the original church, the Christians. And Andrew's just Simon Peter's brother, but oh, maybe, uh, but he does this incredible thing. Well, see what he does uh, from, the, uh, from verse 40 onwards. Andrew, Simon, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said and had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And, they brought, and he brought him to Jesus. Friends, maybe you felt like a bit of an Andrew. I don't know, not that much of a mover and shaker, overshadowed by the people around you. It is incredible how Andrew is used here, isn't it? He, he sees Jesus. John, John says, look, Jesus. And straight away, he, he jumps ship and follows Jesus. He gets who he is. He's not a mover and shaker. But he goes and grabs his brother, who ends up being sort of one of the key leaders of the first Christians. I just think it's wonderful, this ordinary witness of an ordinary bloke, right? Just going to grab his brother to tell him about Jesus. Well, we come to that, the last day of these incredible four days, and we'll just quickly sort of read through this, um, the last uh, day from verse 43 onwards. Uh, they've seen who John is. We, we've seen who John is, right? He's not anyone. He's not, not, not. But he's just a, he's a voice pointing to the Lord, and he's not even worth going to those sandals. We've seen who Jesus is, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the King, and we've seen how John's disciples, in a heartbeat, switched hands, and that's what John would have wanted. And we've seen how, how uh, one of them, Andrew, how his brother got on the act. But here, here's something different in verse 43. This time we read that Jesus himself, before it was sort of John pointing to people Jesus, now Jesus himself goes out. And we're told that he finds this guy called Philip. 
He sort of takes initiative, he goes out and he finds Philip. Uh, we don't know much about Philip, uh, just that he was from the same place as Andrew and Peter. Uh, but he just sort of appears out of nowhere, right? He's not a disciple of John. Uh, it's an ordinary guy, but Jesus knows him, and isn't that interesting? Finds him. He, he, he knows him, and he finds him. And he simply says, Follow me. Follow me. Well, like Andrew went up to the Peter, Philip then goes up to his mate Nathaniel. Uh, and he read in verse 45 he says, uh, Nathaniel, we found the one. We found the one. Moses wrote about We found him in Jesus, son of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Uh, and don't you just love Nathaniel's reply, right? It's kind of like saying, if you heard the next Prime Minister of Australia came from Udnadab, or I don't know, but uh, some really remote, tiny, small country, you'd sort of say, Nazareth was a tiny place, right? Tiny, really on the the scale of things insignificant. And and Nathaniel says, Really? Can any any of you come in there? Uh, You you kind of go love Nathaniel's reply, but I love Philip's reply to Nathaniel even more. See what Philip does. And Nathaniel actually has a good point, I think. Nathaniel has a good point. Uh, besides the fact that Nazareth, Nazareth was a small, insignificant town, all, all the prophecies about this Messiah, this one who would come, talked about, but they didn't, they didn't talk about Nazareth, they talked about Bethlehem. But you see what Philip um, does here? He doesn't engage, he doesn't engage in an argument. He doesn't say, well actually Nathaniel, let's just work this through together. Uh, here's, here's three reasons why you're wrong. Uh, something good can come in Nazareth. Uh, he doesn't try and prove his point. You see what he says? He doesn't try and convince Philip about a philosophy, a set of beliefs. All he wants to do is introduce Philip, uh, introduce Nathaniel to a person. He's not trying to argue him. He's trying to introduce him to a person. He just says, well, maybe you've got a point there, Nathaniel, but just come and see. Come and see. Come and see. And Philip, uh, Nathaniel comes and sees, and Jesus blows him away uh, by saying that, you know, he, he, uh, Jesus knows Nathaniel, sort of inside out already. I saw you, you, man, without anything false in you, you kind of plain speaker, and we've seen how he speaks his mind. And the thing was, you know, I, I saw you, verse 48, I saw you while you were under the fig tree. He blows him away. And then verse 51, right at the end, he says, well, Nathaniel believes in Jesus. And Jesus says, well, just because I said I saw you, if you believe, friend, you are going to see greater things than that. Greater things than that. And then he says this, right at the end there, very truly I say to you, you will see heaven open angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, this is sort of a direct, it comes from the story of Jacob in the Old Testament, if you know it. In Genesis 28, if you want to follow that up, Jacob is on the run, goes to sleep, 
Um, Theologia has this crazy dream. He sees this ladder going from earth up to heaven, angels coming down up it. And he wakes up from his dream and says, this, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And you see what Jesus says here. Jesus is saying he himself is that ladder. He himself is the gate of heaven, the way of access to God. Jesus says to Nathaniel, with me, friend, there are greater things to come. Well, we want to draw things together here. Now, I just thought, uh, having, I know it's a, it is a long passage and we've, we haven't been able to touch on everything, friends, but uh, I want to draw things together with just focusing in on those two phrases that Philip uses. Um, we have found, we have found, and come and see. These two phrases were all it took. Do you notice that? I mean, this is the start. This is where it all started. With these guys starting to follow Jesus. And all it took were two phrases. We found Jesus. Won't you come and see? We found Jesus. Won't you come and see? It's not a great program or a business model. It's the simple and life-changing testimony of ordinary Christians. Ordinary people who have met. You know, if you come and visit me in town life, I'm going to take you to the, you know, to the big guitar, come and come and check it out, and that's going to be. But these guys, they met. The, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. The great King of Israel. The one who gives access into to, the one who is himself, we read last week, the one who is, is himself God, coming to his world. They got how big he was. And they, they just said, we have found him. Come and see him. Come and see him. And the other thing is tucked away, so underneath that, did you notice as we read through, that's what they do, but even before that, you see that Jesus himself is the first one to do that for them. Right back, uh, uh, right back down, uh, where, where is it here? Uh, in verse 39, uh, the two so the John's disciples who follow Jesus, they say, where is they? And Jesus says to them, come and see. He invites them to follow him. And then that really interesting thing right there with Philip, you, see, you remember how we saw that Jesus went out and found Philip, and then Philip could then go and say, we have found him. This incredible dynamic, where once they have come and seen, but they, they themselves have been seen and been found and brought, they can't go out, but help go out and say, I've been found, and I have found, we found this one. We have found, come and see. Perhaps that's helpful for you, um, it may be, friends, if you're a Christian person here today, um, that that testimony of yours will be just a really powerful thing in someone else's life. What have you found in this one? You don't need to understand it all. You don't need to have it all worked out. But you have found not a set of sort of ideas that you can argue your way into, but a real alive 
incredible earth-shattering person in Jesus. You have found him, the Lamb of God, who has taken away your sin, who has opened access to God for you. You have found him. To be able to say that I've found him and maybe even, why don't we come and see? Why don't we come and check him out? Maybe come on to church or come read the gospel stories together. Uh, and isn't it great to have John right at the start, his example of that gospel humility? And we touched on that earlier. My friends, once we see the bigness of Jesus, we will see our own smallness, but we won't be sucked into it. We won't be sort of spiraled down by it. We'll start to wonderfully forget ourselves and be able to say who we found. And to be able to invite the world to come and see them. That will give us both that humility and that courage. Let's pray with them. Our Father, um, in some way we pray that each of us that you might help us to see just, just a little bit more of how wonderful and how great and how big Jesus is. Father, um, who he is changes everything. Lord, particularly for us as we do think ahead to Christmas, Lord, give us give us that kind of humility that we saw in John, that kind of boldness to be always pointing to him, to be able to give a really true witness for who we have found, knowing that he has first found us. Uh, and to be able to say, come and see, come and see. We do, Father, we want to see Jesus more and more, and we pray that as we do, uh, that you might transform us, be glory, and bring many into his kingdom to receive the forgiveness of sins and the offers free. And we pray that for your glory in his name. Amen. We're just going to respond to our friends um, in song. Uh, it is an incredible thing uh, who Jesus is and it speaks to the deep, deep.